Kia ora and welcome to the Stronger Dads Collective podcast, where we aim to help dads be stronger versions of themselves as fathers, people, and in their athletic pursuits. Let's get into today's episode. Kia ora team and welcome to episode 11 of the Stronger Dads Collective podcast. Today I'm joined by another international guest coming from, I think he's still in the United States, but Mike tends to move around a bit, so he, he can let us know where he is currently um, at the moment. But it's Mike Tushera who is the RTS founder and head coach over there. And um, some of you will know from previous episodes that I used to work um, for Mike as one of his coaches on the team there. So um, it's a pleasure to have you back, Mike. Um, Mike has a wife and four children, um, and he is a bit of a uh, big name in the powerlifting scene, shall we say. He won the World Games um, in 2009, which for those who don't know powerlifting is kind of like the Olympics of powerlifting. Um, it happens every four years, I believe. Um, and so it's one of those ones where, you know, everyone comes together and just like the Olympics, it's kind of that pinnacle of the four years. So um, it's an honor to have you on, Mike, and uh, thanks for being willing to come and join us. So I'll just hand over to you if you want to give us um, a little bit of an introduction and maybe just cover some of your background, but it's awesome to have you on. Sure. Yeah. Um, glad to be here. Uh, yeah. Let's see, background. So feel free to steer me in the direction that's most interesting because usually these uh, tend to focus a lot on on the powerlifting side of uh, my life. <laughs> <laughs> and that maybe isn't isn't the, the sole focus for today. But, uh, you know, I uh, began competing in powerlifting in 2003 and coaching in uh, 2000, not long after that, actually, 2005, and then uh, more professionally in 2008, and I've been doing it full-time. It's my full-time job since 2012. Um, yeah, we, uh, uh, I got married you know, right after I graduated from college in 2007, and uh, we had our first kid in 2014, uh, and you know, uh, then just about feels like just about every two years. So uh, we had uh, my, as you mentioned, we have four. My oldest is eight. Um, then I've got a daughter who's uh, about to turn five. And then we've got twins who are two and a half now. Mm. So um, where, where were you brought up, Mike? Like, where did you kind of start your life and how, how did that kind of influence where you got to? Uh, I grew up in Indiana in the U.S. It was just kind of a fairly rural area. Um, I don't know. That, that maybe paints a, a picture that I'm not not so sure is accurate in, in a lot of people's <laughs> minds. But, you know, that, that is the truth, though, at the same time. Like, my a lot of my family is involved in farming and um my grandfather had a, a chicken farm and things like that. So I grew up doing a lot of stuff like that, um, you know, playing outside, playing in the woods. and um, But then also like normal kid stuff as well. Like people in, in our generation did play video games and you know, it wasn't it wasn't like totally an austere thing. But yeah, um, grew up doing stuff like that. Um, but I've always been interested in like physical things. Mm. Um, I wanted to join the military at a young age and, uh, you know, by extension, you know, knowing nothing about it, uh, you think 
what's that going to be like? It must be a lot of push-ups and sit-ups. And it's just not, <laughs> yeah. not reality. But, you know, it served as a good, like, training foundation, to be honest. So it did a lot of that, you know, just uh, self-motivated as a, as a kid, you know. Uh, got involved in some sports, baseball a little bit, and then eventually concentrating on football. Yeah. Uh, and then when I got into high school, that's, that's American football. Yeah, our, yeah. 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 Sorry. <laughs> not, not soccer. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, then when I got, you know, well, I suppose I started lifting weights when I was about 12. Um, you know, kind of on that background of body weight training and mm-hmm. things of that nature. And so um, that served as a, uh, kind of a launch pad for, you know, lifting and then being good at lifting. And then, you know, like I said, I was interested in doing military stuff. So uh, I went to uh, university at the Air Force Academy, mm. uh, tried to walk on to the football team, but that didn't work at all. Uh, found out that they had a powerlifting club. Can, can you explain for me just quickly? Sorry, just to distract from that. Sure. But- as a New Zealander, what does a walk-on mean? Because I hear people use that term. Does that gotcha. just mean that someone wasn't actually like in the roster at the start of the season or something? How? Kind just of. A, yeah. So we all play football. Well, we all. Uh, lots of people are going to play sports in high school. And uh, if you're a recruited athlete, then you know, you're know you in communication with some university and you kind of have a prior agreement. Sometimes there's a scholarship involved, sometimes not, but uh, you have some sort of relationship with them already, and there's kind of an agreement that you'll be on the team. Uh, yeah. Lots of teams, maybe most teams, I'm not sure what the rules are, but uh, lots of teams will hold like an open tryout, and that's where you, you're you a walk-on if you go to the open tryouts, right? Ah, okay. Um, so in my case, you know, the Air Force Academy team is you can only pick from the people who are students there, right? So these are all like Air Force cadets. And uh, they're usually not, you know, the the very highest talent <laughs> pool of athletes, right? Yeah. Because those people go to other schools. <laughs> you know? Scholarship. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, so to, you know, I didn't, The school that I went to in high school was uh, a small school and there wasn't a lot of experience with even how do athletes go about being recruited. So Mm -hmm. um, there was no effort made on any of that. And I mean, I don't fault anybody for that. I'm kind of glad that things worked out the way that it did. But, you know, my plan was always like, well, I guess I'll just try to do a walk on thing and see see if I can get noticed. Mm -hmm. You know, so the tryout for me. It was about, I want to say it was like maybe two weeks after basic training. So yeah. to paint paint a little bit more clear of a picture, when I arrived at basic training, you know, I was uh, in good shape. You know, I was running, uh, lifting, you know, I was uh, 250 pounds. So it was uh, 115 kilo or so, yeah. you know, um, a big guy, uh, but in shape for a big guy. And when I, I lost... When I lost uh, almost 30 pounds, so 15 kilo or wow. so uh, yeah. over the course of the six-week basic training. <laughs> so, um, you know, did a lot of not eating and, <laughs> you know, 
kind of jogging slowly not <laughs> I mean, it barely even qualifies as a jog a lot of this stuff because yeah like you end up running in formation a lot and that's always at the mm. pace of the slowest person and there's always somebody who has some dramatic injury and you know you have to you're carrying them the whole way and it was it was a lot but um not lifting or anything like that so you go through all this time which is really not anything good in terms of athletic development and then about two weeks later they have tryouts for the football team so i go two weeks after your six week basic like training so you know i go there and um you know comparatively out of shape and small (laughs) lost a lot of size and everything and uh, the first thing they had us do was uh, uh, run a 40-yard dash and of course it was slow and terrible um, I wasn't exactly known to be the fastest athlete anyway, you know, and yeah. so there was maybe 20 of us and we all ran a 40 yard dash and then they sent everyone home except for one guy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was my walk on experience. So, so you got one chance and it was a sprint. Yeah. yeah. So there was and, no, no ability to show any other skill. It was just, can you a 40 yard dash? See you later. No, okay. <laughs> don't even meet the stage one requirement goodbye you know so wow <laughs> i mean i didn't i was salty about it at the time but um it actually did me a pretty big favor yeah you know like if i had made the football team like how might things have been different yeah because as it went i didn't and i you know pretty much took over the powerlifting club got vital coaching experience I went to junior world competitions. I won my first junior worlds while I was there. Um, I learned a ton uh, and, you know, kind of that's where like the foundational ideas around RPE training and all that uh, developed and became a thing. So if it hadn't been for that, you know, I wonder how different life might look, you know? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's interesting when you sort of look back at those moments where, like, you know, it's quite a clear in your mind distinction that you would have gone sort of left or right type thing. Um, yeah. And it wasn't even a choice you made. It was a choice that was made for you. But you're, you know, looking back, you're like, geez, I'm glad that they made, <laughs> Dude, <laughs> they made well, that choice. <laughs> we can veer off into like some very weird territory here because like <laughs> I, this comes up for me. Anytime we talk about long-term planning, and it could be athletic planning, it could be business planning, or anything like that, when I look back over a, you know, a, a long period of time, five years even, which isn't, it really isn't that long, you know, but you look back over the last five years, and you think, like, how much has changed, you know, would you have predicted that this is where you would be, you know, five years ago, and I mean, the longer you go, the easier that gets because things do, the the rate of change slows down a bit, like as you get into like middle age. But I mean, no, the answer is no. Like I would not have thought that this is what I would be doing. This would be my profession. This would be my family situation or anything like that. It's almost all been a result of circumstantial changes that I had really no say in or very limited say in um at least on on like a conscious level so whenever we start talking about like long-term planning and stuff like that i kind of it's hard for me to get too excited about it because i am very serious about how much unknown comes into the picture i remember i had a um 
job interview. Jeez, it would have been when I was leaving UCOL and I was going sort of out of the sports science industry and I was going into health, um, into this role that, I, you know, I had no idea really how I'd go at it or anything like that, but it was one of those things. And I was like, hey, I'll give it a nudge. It sounds like I've got some of these transferable skills that'll work. And I remember in that interview, someone asked me, oh, where do you see yourself in five years? And like, I'm kind of a little bit like what you're saying there. I, I was just yeah. honest. I was like, I, I don't actually think that far ahead because if I have this concrete plan in my head of where I'm going to be in five years, I'm probably going to say no to other opportunities that come along. And to be honest, I'd rather be able to look at things that are coming up and make a decision based on, you know, two years down the track, hey, oh, but my five-year plan said I want to be there and I want to be this position in this company. It's kind of not how I I work. Like, it's like, hey, is there opportunities? There's something good that you can do now that, you know, and, I, you know, I've mentioned those values before on this show, and I think I've mentioned them to you guys before, you know, that family growth and contribution. Well, if it allows me to do those things, well, hey, I'm happy to take that opportunity. Now, there's a whole lot of ways that that might look, but, yeah, I, I kind of like what you're saying there, that, hey, a long-term plan is is cool, and having probably some general stare is good, um, but by the same token, like, having a real precise this is where I'm going to get to and this is who I'm going to be work for or what type of role I'm going to have. It's like, I don't think life works like that. And maybe for some people it does. Maybe that ticks some people's boxes and they're really happy by that. But that's definitely not how I um, prefer to operate, shall we say. Yeah. No, I'm, uh, I'm the same. Yeah. I remember uh, doing a, this was more like on the business side, um, doing an exercise uh, one of the first things that you had to do to develop your strategy uh, was to set a 10-year goal, you know? Like, yeah. You know, and it's supposed to be like this, like they encourage you to pick something that's like uh, very audacious and um, really reach for something, you know, in 10 years. And I thought, where was I 10 years ago? And at the time, I was, you know, just entering the Air Force, you know, I didn't have a company or anything like that. And I thought, like, this wasn't at all part of the plan. You know, (laughs) yeah, Um, I would not have predicted that this is where I would end up 10 years ago. So how am I supposed to have any idea where I'm going to be 10 years from now? You know, like, I mean, I guess you just pick something, but that seems Mm kind of nonsense. And it's, I've talked to a bunch of people about this and I kind of go back and forth on it. And I think a lot of people will roll their eyes when they hear me like have this existential crisis over whether or not to pick a 10 year goal, (laughs) but but it's like, uh, it does matter though, because like in this particular exercise that I was doing, like, of course you start with a 10 year goal. It's a classic periodization exercise, you know, because you start with your 10 year goal and then you break it down into uh, I think in this case, it was like, what's your three-year picture and what's your one-year goal and down into like, these quarterly objectives, you know, and it's all supposed to serve this 10-year goal. Well, if you pick one 10-year goal, you're going to get one set of mm. uh, quarterly objectives and your to-do list is going to take a certain shape. You pick a different 10-year goal and it's going to take a different shape. So the goal that you pick does matter, mm. you know, Maybe it doesn't have to be super precise, but it does matter. And so I do think that, you know, this is worth a little bit of hand wringing at least, you know, 
So anyway, I'm sorry. I'm sure that's in left field, but <laughs> no, that's good, man. That's that's what we you know we we want to go off tangent. I don't want to just have a nice clear line. So, sure. <laughs> but we just talked about how you got into the powerlifting academy. Um, I th- is where I think we left off before we uh, <laughs> went into sure, the... sure. Um, well, yeah. So they we had a a powerlifting club, and um, you know, I, I at this time already I hadn't competed officially, but I was a powerlifter in my own mind. I was reading all the magazines. I trained like a powerlifter. You know, I, you know, the only thing that was missing is just the opportunity to do sanctioned competition. Um, Things were quite different back then too. eh? Like if we think of people who are getting into powerlifting, you know, 2023, it's a different landscape. So when you say you read magazines, people might be like, what magazines? Like what, what, what were the kind of resources that you actually used? Um, Yeah. So this would have been yeah 2003 2004 time frame uh so there was powerlifting usa and mark bell actually had a magazine around that time frame called mm-hmm. power magazine uh, yeah uh, this was maybe a few years later even uh, yeah. but yeah these, these were both like print magazines and um so there were those two uh there were a few websites that were doing things um uh, Dr. Squat had a good website at the time. There were a couple of bodybuilders that were posting information and message boards were starting to become a thing uh, it as well. forums back then, wouldn't it? Right, yeah. Uh, but generally, not a lot. I guess the uh, Elite FTS uh, Q&A was another one. It was not quite a forum. It was mm-hmm. definitely like you send in your questions and you know their panel would answer them. Uh, but that was another resource. Um yeah, I was reading about powerlifting pretty obsessively <laughs> at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So I joined the powerlifting club and there were three members, you know, me and two others. <laughs> and uh, the, you know, the second year, uh, both of those other two members quit. So <laughs> it was just me. Uh, and that is kind of a crappy scenario <laughs> to be in. Yeah. Um, so I went on like this recruiting drive where I was trying to get there's a lot of people that lifted weights, you know, but yeah, not that many that were competing. And powerlifting itself was less accessible. That uh, you pretty much everybody competed equipped. Uh, there wasn't such thing as a raw division or anything like that. Um, so yeah, it was less accessible, fewer meets, um, fewer facilities that had appropriate training uh, stuff mm. too, like used to get kicked out of gyms for doing deadlifts and stuff like that. Right. Um, but yeah, so I recruited some other people who liked lifting weights to become powerlifters and started building up the team. Uh, and they looked at me to be the coach because, you know, I, I'm you the, the senior member. <laughs> right. So, yeah. And, um, uh, so that's kind of where I started coaching, just kind of learning how to be a coach at that point. Yeah. That's also more or less where I met my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we were both cadets at, at the Air Force Academy. So uh, she was running track, um, yeah. just a naturally fast person. Like she ran like one year of track in high school. Uh, but then, you know, years later, she finds herself at the Air Force Academy uh, and is just a fast person, so yeah. she gets on the track team as a sprinter. And of course, <laughs> she, she might have made the football walk-ons, mate. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Faster <laughs> than me for sure. But, yeah. Um they were trying to have her lift weights, but how do I put this correctly but politely? Um <laughs> They wanted her to lift, and she had no experience with lifting. Yeah. Uh, especially, like, lifts like snatches and clean and jerks. Uh, and the coaching that was being provided was inadequate. Uh, so she was extremely frustrated. And, mm-hmm. you know, she just knew that I was a person that lifted weights and asked if I would help. Uh, so we started going to the gym. I mean, I didn't know a lot about clean and jerks, but yeah. I was... I was willing to teach, which is more than was happening otherwise. Uh, so, you know, we got to a level of basic proficiency, I would say. And then, yeah. you know, then we're just kind of lifting together and training together. And then we go grab lunch afterwards. And then, you know, yeah. uh, before before long, we graduate and get married. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, so are you studying at uni? Were both of you doing, sorry, at the Air Force Academy? Yeah. Was that also like a university type scenario yeah and for you and your wife yeah yeah so she uh studied political science and i studied management is what the degree is in uh it would have been like a business education at any other school but yeah it's not they didn't want to have a business degree at a military school so they call it management (laughs) instead (laughs) okay okay and so you, you studied through that time and you finished that what what was kind of the well, we've just talked about long-term goals. You obviously had some sort of plan when you went into the Air Force Academy with what sure. you were going to end up doing following that. Sure. Did that kind of happen or what happened no. after that? <laughs> <laughs> um, and this one was totally my own volition too. Um, when I went to the Air Force Academy, my reason for going was to be a pilot. I wanted yeah. to fly. And during the course that I was there, most of the pilots that I met were jerks and to be fair that's because I didn't know this at the time but that's because there's a certain selection bias uh, Mm. that happens to pilots in order for them to end up you know being in some sort of an instructor role at the Air Force Academy so you're seeing a very specific kind of pilot but I didn't know that then you know, yeah. I was just kind of like, man, I don't really want to work in that environment. Yeah. Uh, and at the same time, um, my wife's, they call them uh, AOC, uh, an air officer commanding. So it's the active duty person in charge of her unit. Um, he was a missileer and uh, he was really, really cool, a grounded person, a really good leader, um, just a really inspiring guy. And I was talking to him about his career and um he honestly made it sound awesome and you know so i i volunteered to be a missileer and that's a job that most people don't want (laughs) so (laughs) when you volunteer for it you get it so that's what i did (laughs) yeah what what did that kind of involve then did that use any of the things that you learned during your study obviously not because it wasn't a business (laughs) or no no so most for the most part you don't end up using your degree directly. Uh, But uh, there's a lot of other stuff that kind of goes along with the the military school education. And then you commission as an officer. And uh, then like in in my case, if you've got a a technical job, then they send you to school for it. 
And yeah. um, so I went to school to learn how to be a missileer at uh, Vandenberg Air Force Base in California, and then went to uh, Minot Air Force Base in North Dakota. Yeah. Um, so that was, that's how I ended up in North Dakota. In North and what, Dakota. what does a missileer do? Assume, the assuming part, something with missiles by the sounds of the title. Sure, sure. So I was a launch control officer uh, for nuclear missiles, uh, the the nuclear ICBMs that we have in uh, North Dakota, mm. and um, for the so for the most part, it's you train to launch the missiles, but obviously we've never <laughs> launched them. Yeah, thankfully. Um, yeah, it, it's it's a strange job. It's a very strange job. Um, in that you you train for this, you know, pretty constantly, um, but never actually do it. Uh, and most of your operational time, like when you actually go out to the missile field and you're you're pulling alert, is spent like processing teams because the missiles break sometimes and somebody has to go out there and fix them. So mm-hmm. you're managing the security for the teams and who's on the site and who's off the site and is it fixed or is it not and so you're monitoring the missiles and processing the teams and monitoring security and yeah. message traffic and things like that. So um, that's mostly what you do. It's in a capsule that's underground. It's like this reinforced concrete bunker. There's these giant blast doors that seal you in. And uh, yeah, so there's a few movies that have scenes from this. Like if you, what's the name of the movie? Uh, if you look at, I think it's War Games. Yeah. In the beginning, it's like a an '80s movie uh, about the anyway, whatever. If you you can look it up on YouTube, and there's a scene that's, you know, it's a movie, so it's not totally accurate, but it's not <laughs> far off, you know. Yeah, and so yeah, that's it's quite a crazy thing when you think about it like being the guy that would have been the guy that pushes you know <laughs> yeah oh totally i mean it's, in my mind it's... i see you sitting there in a little <laughs> command tower or something with the button like the magic button yeah. and waiting for the, the the president to say yeah press the button mate like yeah, it's obviously I, I mean, more complicated than that but <laughs> yeah i mean you've got the gist of it but you know it's it's so weird you don't think about it too much at the time because when I when I started training for that job, I was 22 years old, you know. Yeah. And I remember, like like I said, we, our training for it was in California. And you, so you go to California, you do all your in processing and everything. And then when the training actually starts, like the first thing that you do, they put everybody in this auditorium, and they give you a speech. Maybe, maybe there was a film involved. I'm not sure, but it's mm-hmm. kind of like, hey, this is what you're doing. You're here to, you know command and control nuclear weapons and then they put a paper in front of you it's a contract essentially but basically what it says is hey if we tell you to actually launch these things you get are, are you going to actually do it and yeah. so you know here's 22 year old me thinking yeah yeah okay yeah i'd do it <laughs> you know and then yeah you there's just no way to appreciate the gravity of that yeah you know like even now, I, I have better perspective, but still, like it's hard to wrap your head around what that is. Yeah, that that you know? you're literally the yeah the one that's sort of pulling the trigger top <laughs> scenario. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, it's um. Uh, so with with those weapons, because you know when we when we think back in in history, 
would these not be launched from an airplane? Would they be like, I don't know how, you know, don't know what sure. sort of stuff you so, don't mean to talk about, but do they get launched from the ground? Do they get dropped from planes? Like how did your job involve the airplane bit or didn't it? Sure. Well, there's uh, there's three different main components to the, the nuclear strategy. There's uh, ICBMs, which are land-based missiles mm. uh, that are kind of underground in these reinforced silos in kind of the the central United States. Uh, there's submarines, you can, so you can launch yeah. missiles from submarines, and then uh, bombers. Yeah, uh, different ways for bombers to deliver those those same weapons. Um, so each one has different strengths and weaknesses. Mm. Um, it seems to me that um, what you end up with with like the, the ICBMs, the the missiles, is uh, you're kind of a, a missile sponge. That's kind of the way it's designed, because yeah. like all these missile silos in kind of the central United States, the other all the other countries know exactly where they are. Um, <laughs> they know, and I mean it's part of our treaties too that they know where they are. They know how many warheads are on each one and things like that. So, um, if there were to be a general nuclear exchange, that's something that the adversary has to account for. You know, they've got to make sure that all those things get blown up or else, you know, that's bad news for them. So it would take a lot of their weapons to cover, you know, the, and that's why it's in the central United States where there's not big population centers and things yeah. like that too. Um, so it's, it's part of the strategy, but, uh, you know, you don't think about that too much until later. Like, oh, I I manned the the missile sponge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 that, yeah. It's quite interesting. I've never really chatted to you about this this part of yeah. your life, so it's kind of interesting <laughs> to hear a bit more detail. I knew you were in the Air Force Academy. I knew you were a missile, but I didn't really sure. know what that meant. Um, it's a, it's a bizarre thing, really. You know, and you kind of develop a a strange, dark sense of humor about it all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I don't know. Things that we thought were funny then to just kind of seem a little scary to everyone. <laughs> yeah. And well, I think even probably, you know, as you say, 10 years ago, yeah. you probably wouldn't have seen the conflict that's happening now and kind of thought, hmm, if I was still in that role, like, Man, we would I have been a bit more high alert, that, you know? I and wonder, it's like, geez. I think about those guys sometimes. That, you know, I wonder what that's like up there now, you know? Yeah. It's yeah, just, just a different world. Yeah, 100%. Um, so you're a missileer now. Had you married your wife yeah. at this stage? Yeah, yeah. We got married right after we graduated. Um, so, gosh, yeah, when we ended up in North Dakota, we, you know, lived there. She She's a, a logistics officer, and so she was working in the, the logistics squadron. And, um, yeah. We're just kind of living life, you know? Yeah. Uh, we didn't have kids for, see, this would have been 2007, 2008, and we didn't have our first kid until 2014. So um, mm. tried to travel a bit, although, yeah. you know, with uh, kind of being earlier in our careers, and uh, she deployed during this time frame as well. Yeah. Uh, so she was gone for a full year. And, wow. um, uh, yeah, so 
I guess we did do a bit of travel, but that came a little bit later. Actually, toward the end of our time in North Dakota, she picked mm-hmm. up orders to go to Italy. Uh, yeah. They don't have missiles in Italy, by the way. <laughs> uh, so, so that was going to be a, a non-starter. I was thinking about getting out of the military anyway, because yeah. at this point, um, I had been, like, I had started my my business and was coaching people online, and it was growing. I was spending all my free time doing it, and I thought, mm-hmm. you know, this looks like a thing that I could dedicate full time to, you know, yeah. and that seemed interesting and I could take it anywhere. Uh, so that's what we did. Uh, yeah. I left the air force and, uh, moved to Italy shortly thereafter. And, uh, so that was our assignment. That's when, uh, that's when we had our first kid. So RTS went full time while you're in Italy. Is that right? Like right at the same time that we moved, yeah. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, because you had got out of the Air Force and it was basically all in. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so did you say you had your first child in Italy? Yeah, yeah. So how did how did that kind of come about? Because obviously being from the States, I don't know if the health systems are different and if there's the support, <laughs> you know, if, yeah. if you give birth in New Zealand, essentially everything is like, you know, fully, fully funded. If you get a C-section, the government pays for it. If you you know, have a regular birth or a vaginal birth, mm. it's all it's all just paid for. Like, we don't really pay sure. for anything unless you want to go stay in a special birthing unit afterwards, mm. uh, which then you might have to pay for that if you're on back. It depends on, it's a little bit different in the areas, but essentially sure. it's free um, yeah. for all intents and well, purposes. As being, being kind of part of the military, our healthcare comes through that yeah. system, um, which, you know, a lot of people have, different opinions on we've had a pretty good go of it though yeah you know and like i see uh friends of mine family members you know dealing with uh private insurance companies and that sounds like a absolute nightmare yeah Um, yeah. i mean i might feel differently about it if we had some uh you know unorthodox medical needs or something like that but yeah for where we're at it's been good this this has been a pretty good deal yeah yeah um so, like, for us, they had a hospital. Let's see. Yeah, that one. They had a hospital on base. So, mm-hmm. we went through, like, the military healthcare system, you know, and they had yeah. a, a labor and delivery unit. Uh, so, yeah. you know, so, pretty, you didn't, so, technically, it wasn't even an Italian hospital as such. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, so, it was, yeah, it was all... Yeah, I guess uh, technically an American hospital on an American yeah. base, but um, you, we did. I remember we did have to report the birth to the Italian like local municipality, um, and there was like a, a process that we went through to get to get him a passport like yeah. right away. Um, but you know, there's no like provision for like dual citizenship or anything like that in that sort of scenario. Yeah. So, so is he American citizen, doesn't have an right. Italian? Ah, oh, okay. Right, right. Oh, that's yeah. that's quite interesting that it happens yeah. that way. Like, And that was kind of, yeah, I sort of just think, oh, you're giving birth a different country. That must be a bit strange, but almost you weren't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, like, you're uh, ge- geographically located there, but for all intents <laughs> and purposes, <laughs> not. Right. So how did that kind of change things? Because up until that time, did you say it was 2014? Right. Right. So, because you'd done a whole bunch of powerlifting, you must have traveled a bunch mm-hmm. of times. Because I was trained by you in 2013 for the for the World Champs in Sizdal in Russia, and so 
you had done a bunch of competitions before that because RTS was, I mean, there were a bunch of athletes at that competition who were being trained by RTS, which at the time was just you. Yeah. 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 So what had kind of happened in your powerlifting stuff and training wise prior to first baby? Gosh. Yeah. So. Man. There was, uh, at the time I was sending all the training manually, you know, so every Saturday morning, uh, I had this process that I would go to go through to send everybody their next week's training via email. And, um, we had, we had like a serious conversation about like, what do we do if Ayana goes into, uh, goes into labor on like a Friday, you know, <laughs> then what? Yeah. Because there was no backup. And like, this was a thing that was really freaking important. Like it had to get done, you know? Uh, so, you know, what do we do? You know, so I can't remember how we actually handled that. Um, maybe I sent like an extra week's training during this period of time <laughs> or something like that. I remember that uh, she went a bit past the due date. You yeah. Know? So we ended up uh, inducing uh, for for Seneca. Um, but uh, yeah, which kind of was a, a bit of an advantage because it did it did give us a heads up. And I don't remember if there were any sort of last minute work scrambles, but uh, if there were, you know, it, it happened and then it's like gone to yeah. faded in memory. But um, yeah, that that helped. But I was also traveling a lot. You know, I yeah. want to say once a month we were going somewhere for competition or seminar or something. And then, you know, you you mentioned uh, 2013, uh, there was the, uh, we, we did a seminar circuit in Australia Mm. and New Zealand and uh, we were, and we were there for like a month, you know, and of course. We came to Commonwealth in Auckland that year, eh? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I was there for a couple weeks and then Ayana came down for a couple of weeks and uh, we spent Christmas, uh, we spent Christmas in Cairns, I want to say. And yeah, we ran yeah, that, you there. <laughs> that's where we, we ended up over there with our family, with yeah. Sasha's parents. We were over there on holiday as well. And I remember seeing a picture from you that said you were there. And I was like, hey, that's so random. Like, yeah. I think I'd <laughs> just seen you in Auckland. And I was like, I might just say if you want us to have a train. And then we ended up training in that, um, yeah. the CrossFit yeah, was, gym in cairns and it was like that was so hot i I don't know if you remember that day but that was like one of those classic crossfit sort of you know almost like a tin shed type thing but it's in cairns and it's like high 30s celsius you know like (laughs) it was so hot it was so hot sun beating down on this roof i think i tried to do one of the like a conditioning workout at that time and i wasn't very conditioned when i was (laughs) powered um and man, I just remember nearly dying because it was just so, it felt like I nearly died because it was right. so hot. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the That's... thing I remember about that training session when I trained with you there was I think you were doing, I swear it was five count benches, might have been three oh, count. Right. But you were holding your breath for the entire five count pause. And that's always the thing that I remember about that day is A, you had your velocity measuring unit with you and that was attached to the bar. But then like, <laughs> like you the just hold your breath the time, for like the yeah. whole set. <laughs> yeah. It was like the the big one, the big metal cylinder one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, yeah. <laughs> the te- was it a tendo or something like that? A tendo unit. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. 
<laughs> but you went out for dinner as well, yeah. And that was kind of one yeah. of the first times I guess I'd met you in a non-powerlifting sense right. and had to catch up with you. So yeah, yeah. Well, that that trip, uh, kind of at the end of that trip, uh, we as we started to fly back to Italy where we lived at the time, mm. um, that's when we found out we were expecting. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. So um, it was a long trip home for Ayana, <laughs> dealing with the. Uh, you know, just the nausea and everything. But, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so all that stuff, I guess it didn't stop, but uh, the trips got a lot shorter. Yeah. Uh, after, you know, after kids come to the picture. And I mean, w- one thing that's been true for each edition that we've had in the time since, I have always been somewhat pessimistic about how it's how it's going to affect you know the the rest of everything else right yeah and i always kind of feel like that's it this is this you know traveling part or whatever is that part is over and i'm just not going to be able to do that anymore and that's just (laughs) not the case yeah when we had when we had our first kid i remember thinking like how could you possibly be any busier than this this is (laughs) like the most ridiculous kind of schedule that I could conceive of and you know then you have another kid and you add to it and it's not that big of a deal and then you know <laughs> you know every step along the way I felt like this is it this is like this is the maximum in terms of complexity in terms of things that need to be done and then you just find a way to deal with it and you know, yeah. move on from there so did, did your training change because how much were you training prior to your first child like how often would you have been doing training and how long would have those sessions been? Because you were competing at quite a high level. Yeah, um, it would have been fairly typical powerlifter training schedules, like four days a week, mm-hmm. two and a half hour sessions usually. Um, yeah. And I would say that that didn't really change. I mean, it changed for a little bit when he was brand new. Yeah. yeah. Um, but as you know, he got a little bit older, uh, I'm talking like a couple months you know, yeah. um, then, you know, things pretty much normalized. Now I'm in a pretty unique situation that I'm able to make training part of my work day. And yeah. that's not the situation that probably most people find themselves in. So mm. I, I got through that disruption a lot faster, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that first few months, was that mainly a sleep thing or was that a time thing? A bit of both, a bit of both, you know, and just trying to understand what the new routine was going to be like. Yeah. You know, I didn't, yeah, some of it's, uh, I don't remember so much of like how I trained or or what, like during that period, Mm. Um, I probably just kind of muddled through. Uh, but later on, like, w- for example, like when the twins were born, um, at that point, I'd had some practice and, you know, also some more developed training ideas and stuff like that. And I, I think I had a much better approach to to kind of uh, uh, make the most of a limited opportunity, you know. So is that that approach, is that basically rather than thinking that you had to do, you know, a two and a half hour session or this big you know, the certain amount of volume, sure. was that just having a bit more understanding and expectations that actually with a smaller amount of work, I can still make 
progress or I can yeah, still you know so, make, make do my best in this situation yeah so when the twins were born um not to we can skip some of the the details around the their birth experience but it was it was rough on Anna mm. and um there was a lot for me to do at home yeah. to kind of pull my weight and make sure that the older two kids were being taken care of. They're mm. still quite small, right? So uh, they would have been six and three, maybe. Yeah. So in that range, anyway. So um, there's still still a lot to do uh, and help help her, help the twins, and so I figured what I could do is maybe between one and three times a day, I could steal 15 minutes. Yeah. Uh, and I was also fortunate that I had a home gym set up. So I could yeah. take 15 minutes, I could disappear down to the basement for 15 minutes, do something and then come back. You know, if I could do that between one and three times a day, then, you know, that's, that's kind of what I set for myself as an expectation. And also, at this point, having had a little bit of practice, I understood this is not forever. Mm. You know, I think with my with my first and earlier on, I have a tendency to think like, oh, this is a this is just how it is now. You know, and it's not, you know, they're they're yeah. small like that for a, a pretty short amount of time in the grand scheme of things. You know, a couple months after a couple months, things change a lot. Yeah. You know? So, um you know, I thought, well, for, you know, this first kind of introductory period when things are super new and you're really adjusting a lot, I'll try to stick to these 15 minute things. So what can I do in 15 minutes? It, that became more the mindset. So I thought I'm going to pick exercises that are easy to do that don't require a lot of warm up or a lot of weight. Uh, I was fortunate with a home gym that I could basically just leave my equipment set up. Uh, that that would cut down on, you know, even a couple minutes. Um, mm. And I picked exercises that were easy to do, easy to warm up for, um, didn't require a lot of weight. So things like uh, feet up bench or split squats or pull-ups, you know, and I would just try to get through as much work as I could in the 15 minutes that I had and then go back upstairs and, um, you know, continue on with family life. Mm. And um, it, it worked surprisingly well actually yeah you know that you can get a lot done in even just a 15 minute chunk of time and if you do like if you do say three 15 minute sessions a day uh and um you know you train all your muscle groups and you did that every day you know that that's not bad that's not a mm. bad chunk of volume at the end of the week and you know if the goal is just to kind of maintain your position, then that seemed to be, seemed to work all right. Yeah. You know, and again, just the, the idea that it's not forever, that this is going to be for this, whatever chunk of time. And then I'll get, eventually get back to something that more resembles the training that mm -hmm. I wanted to be doing. And, uh, I would probably be better for this period of time as well. What do you mean by that? Well, it, it seems to me that lots of people will have situations like this, whether it's children or something going on with a job or maybe a loved one is sick or something like that. And mm -hmm. it kind of knocks you out of um, 
your normal training rhythm. Uh, you've, you've got a busy period of time at work and you can only train a little bit. So you do kind of maintenance training. And we always think like, uh, how much would I rather be training uh, to make progress right now instead of training to maintain? And I get that. And there's a, a standpoint where that's, you know, that's an understandable mindset, but lots of people will have this experience that when they do go back to normal training, they then see progress that seems like they would not have seen otherwise. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, maybe you're just kind of scrapping along for, for progress here and there, you know, like me, I've been doing this for a long time, you know, and you're just kind of fighting for whatever you can get. You take this period where you're just doing a little bit, then when that period is over and you come back to normal training, it seems as if progress is easier to come by for a little while. Yeah. So that seems to be the norm more than the exception. Yeah. 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 I guess it's kind of like, um, it's like a little bit of plan time away that I think probably mentally almost not plan time away, force time away. Um, and pretty much like, you're probably more enthusiastic when you come back. You're probably appreciating the fact you can train more. There's all mm. of those psychological aspects that I think probably play a part in improving performance to some extent. You know, like mm-hmm. your buy-in is probably way bigger than it was before when training was a little bit feeling monotonous. You know, like there's right. all of that excitement and that buy-in to the process and that, you know, I don't know, you kind of got these expectations that things are going to be, you're going to have more outcomes because of the fact that, you did, oh, I did this much with this little training and I'm still here. Wow, what it's going to be like now that I can push again, you know? Like right. there's probably an element of that um, to to that once you've had this time away because, yeah, it is like when you get to train normal again, it's like, wow, this is a luxury. <laughs> right. right, absolutely. I, I think it's like sleep, to be honest. Like I remember yeah. at the start, like, um, you know, not getting a heck of a lot of sleep and you'd have like a six hour stretch or something, you know, the odd night and you're like, man, I feel amazing. <laughs> like the sleep is yeah. so good. And then, and then like, you know, t- two months ago before you had the baby, it's like six hours. Jeez, I'm so tired. Like right. <laughs> there's yeah. that real big shift and like sort of grasping what's there. I don't know if there's something with the sleep that you actually do sink into a deeper sleep more quickly because you're tired. There, there may be some of that, but I don't know. That's kind of what I think of it like is, man, you kind of appreciate it a whole lot more. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So so with the with the kids, like how much exposure have they had to your training? Because if you're training at home, what does that kind of look like? And do you do anything intentionally so that they kind of see you training? Uh, not so much intentionally. I've wanted, you know, they've been exposed to it their whole life, really. Uh, from time to time, Seneca more than the, my oldest son, uh, more than yeah. any of the other kids, just because when it was just him, it was easier, you know, and then <laughs> when it was him and his sister, it was more, but uh, it was still manageable. But with four little ones running around while I'm trying <laughs> to lift, then that would be a lot to deal with. But um, we had we had two kids during the COVID lockdowns. And, you know, of course, the daycares are closed and stuff like that. Um, So they were out with me a lot then. Mm -hmm. Um, And some hilarity ensues when you put kids in the gym like that. But, you know, and and even now, like they'll say things like, hey, 
Papa, I want to go out and lift weights with you, which means <laughs> I want to climb around on all the equipment while <laughs> you lift weights, which is totally fine. You know, I, I've had them out there. My, my oldest will occasionally ask me something about it. Like he'll ask mm-hmm. me if he can do deadlifts or do bench press or something like that. But that I'll start to show him something and it, will last for maybe 30 seconds and I don't really get bent out of shape about it. He, you know, I know that he's really here to play and that's fine. You know, there's <laughs> plenty of time to, to learn the ins and outs of this. You know? Yeah. 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 And does your wife do any sort of training or exercise at the moment? Cause you mentioned that she was a um, sprinter back yeah. in the Air Force Academy. What is, yeah, what she, is kind of her? She still you know, does like? workouts and things like that, but uh trains like she would say trains like a normal person (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. and so i with that whole like dynamic of having kids and managing that because obviously you mentioned at the start the routines and things are quite hard you know in terms of your own routine and things change for a period of time but then you sort of figure it out what are some of those sort of challenges within that that you've kind of had to overcome be it related to trying to fit in work because working from home obviously with kids is um challenging or can be quite challenging if you know if you've got responsibility for them at that time as well how did you two kind of manage that demand because your wife i'm assuming goes into work sometimes or how how does that dynamic kind of work at home it's it, it changes quite a bit depending on her role at the time so, for example, uh, we were in the Netherlands uh, when uh, during the COVID lockdowns and her job at the time, they decided that she could do that from home. So mm-hmm. she started working from home. Uh, the kids were everybody was home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so she and I were still working, but just working from home and just managing the kids. So, I mean, that's a that's a, a scenario that a lot of people dealt with at that at that time. But. Um, then after we moved back to the U S she took a job, uh, her job since then has been a lot more demanding of, shall we say in-person attention. Um, so I have taken on more of like the, uh, getting kids ready in the morning, dropping them off, picking kids up in the afternoon. Not to say she doesn't do those things, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, this just, given that I have additional flexibility that she doesn't have at the moment, that's, yeah. it's just problem solving, right? Like, it's just yeah, like, well, yeah, yeah. look, this thing needs to be done. Can you do it? No. Well, I can do it if I move these things. And it's the same, yeah. like she does the same type of thing, right? Like, um, Hey, I'm going to be out of town. I'm going to the world mm-hmm. championship to, to do some coaching. And, you know, so she changes her schedule and stuff yeah. like that to, to be able to backfill, you know, and it's just, yeah, just problem solving, just making stuff work, you know. Um, Having some good communication must yeah. obviously be quite important because you, you'd have things that you know are going to be coming months in advance as well. Like, like sure. you know, competitions don't tend to just pop up um, yeah. or any sort of seminar or workshop like you were doing. That doesn't, you know, those things are planned sure. quite far out. Child illnesses, though, are not planned. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah. that seems to be the thing that is significantly disruptive. Mm. Um, You know, we mentioned uh, at the start that I think like the growth of my family 
has had probably a bigger impact on my work than it has on my training. Um, The training just seems to be, you know, it's a couple hours, you know, several times a week, but it's, you can find a couple hours to fit things in and sneak a bit here or there. Um, It, the work has been a bit more difficult though. Like just yesterday, actually, uh, the twins were home because, uh, one of them seemed like they were going to have a fever and thus got sent home from daycare. It was a, a whole other, a whole other, uh, seemed like they were going to have a fever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They've been, I don't know. I've got mixed feelings on it because they've been sent home half a dozen times now for, for having a fever. And then I get them home and take their temp and there's no fever. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, now they've got to stay home for at least 24 hours. And, you know, there's no, like, not only no fever, but no sign of any illness whatsoever. And, you know, that's disruptive. But Mm. at the same time, you know, they've been sick, like actually sick a lot less this year than they were last year with a with a different provider. And so by extension, the whole family is sick a lot less. And, you know, it's like, yeah, this is wildly inconvenient to, you know, just throw a wrench in my week now and then, you know, at random intervals for seemingly no reason. But if it means everybody's getting actually sick less, then uh, is that worth a trade? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know, really. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. It's just, it's just the situation. But yeah, like when they get sent home like that, then, you know, I'm working from home. So it's just kind of natural that... um you know, lots of times I can work and, you know, uh, play doctor at the same time. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, Ayana understands that, you know, what I'm doing requires time as well. So yeah, uh, she's taken, you know, vacation days and stuff like that to, to kind of back me up on some of that stuff. So definitely, definitely a team effort. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, I don't think until you have a kid, you can kind of understand that. And like, I, I, I still think, like you mentioned, that each one, it's not as almost kind of said that it's not as big of a disruption as you kind of anticipate it to be when you have like a second kid in terms of the time commitment. I don't mean disruption is a negative thing. Yeah. I mean, disruption is in like having to change what you're doing. Yeah. Um, but I kind of think like with Harvey, the amount of like extra time and planning and all of these things that Sash and I have to do to make sure like that but you can kind of do the things that you want and need to do, you know, like if Sash wants to go out and, you know, go to a book club thing that she goes to every few weeks, mm-hmm. well, hey, that means that I'm on bedtime. That means I'm doing all of those bits and pieces mm-hmm. to make sure. I mean, Sash might not be there to help at the end of dinner time or whatever it might be, but you have to plan for that. Like you can't just be like, hey, I'm off, Hayden. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like two minutes out. Um, and you have to actually be real intentional, I think, with kind of how you do that. So I think it's kind of almost, it forces you to scale up your communication skills and it forces yeah. you to kind of work better, as you say, as a team, um, because yeah. you just don't have that freedom that you used to have. Um, in terms of you can kind of just jump and do anything before you have them. So that kind of <laughs> got me a little bit with just how all-consuming that can be, because it is yeah. like you just have you know, you, you've got the responsibility and that responsibility is the most important thing. So there's opportunity to scale up your communication and, you know, there's opportunity to fail at that too, mm. you know, so that's, 
it's something that's really important to do. Um, you know, these days we would call it self-care, you know. Mm. Um, I, I know it was something that was really frustrating for Ayana early on, you know, um, that she felt like, you know, with our first especially, you know, uh, she felt like she never had a spare moment, never had mm. a moment away from the baby to do like basic stuff, you know, mm-hmm. take a shower without being interrupted, you know, to eat a meal without being interrupted. Um, and that's probably true, you know, mm-hmm. that like for me, I didn't grow up. There were n- none, of, none of our family members had like small children or anything as I was growing up or anything like that. So I was fairly inexperienced around all of it, you know, so yeah. I was probably not do being as good of a partner as I could have been. Yeah. Uh, in ter- in terms of like recognizing any of that stuff and you know providing that support, so I it got fairly uh, upsetting mm-hmm. for the first kid, you know. But then I kind of learned from that, and then for mm-hmm. <laughs> subsequent scenarios, like did a better job of being supportive of those types of things, you know, because it is important, you know. It's it'd be important for anybody to. It was important for me to have those 15 minute stretches where I could go lift weights. Right. So, yeah, um, I mean, it's just you, you kind of find the things that that you need. And if it's to, you know, go over to the neighbor's house and just chill for a few minutes and, uh, <laughs> you know, not hear the sound of a screaming baby, then, you know, if, hey, if that's what you need, then you've got to find ways to take care of that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's the the beauty of having both of you there as well right is that you know it gives Man. you the opportunity for space if you if you talk to each other about it i remember this would have been fairly early on i want to say like right after we had our first kid you know and so we're kind of in that early parenting stage uh there was a guy i followed on facebook um who i want to say he had a young kid and maybe they were divorced or something yeah and anyway he took care of his kid for the weekend and uh had this fa- big facebook post about like i don't see what the big deal about being a single mom is because this is not that hard you know it's just uh it takes a little bit more planning and you got to be you know a little bit more responsible but it's not that big of a deal and i'm like <laughs> my head is exploding because it's like dude it's not two days that's not the problem <laughs> yeah. it's the problem that it never friggin ends you know like yeah. yeah anybody can can be on it for two days and you don't have to go to the grocery store while you've got a screaming little yeah. one or you don't have to deal with any of these just intractable scheduling conflicts like dude it would be it would be so hard like it's just it like talk about not grasping the problem at all you know? <laughs> Yeah, it's almost like, you know, if you drop them at a grandparent's session, I actually get to do that, but, you know, and have a night away. Well, I think we've done a night. No, we might not have even done a night. I think we've done a night separately, like in terms of I've gone away or Sasha's gone away multiple times, but I don't think we've actually both been away from Harvey yet, which is, I remember we actually made a pact about that when we were, before we had kids, but like before a year, we're going to, you know, we did like a pinky promise type thing. We're going to make sure we've gone away, just us. And then we're like, ah, nah, don't worry about that one. (laughs) Yeah. And we, we haven't done that yet. I mean, it's just a little bit more challenging with our grandparents being in different cities and things as well. It just makes yeah. logistically, it's like, well, if we're going to see them up there, why would we not? Like, 
you know, we want to see them as well. So there's some of that yeah. to it, as well as probably the ability to keep control to an extent. <laughs> I mean, this goes back to the planning thing too, right? Like in our case, like desires change and because and mm. we did do, uh, I took Ayana on a, I think we took a little trip to New York and, mm. you know, we had, you know, childcare worked out. Uh, I think we had two kids at the time, um, but it was not as fun as it otherwise would have been, you know, because yeah. like we're both thinking about like, uh, I wonder if everything's okay. I wonder how they're doing, you know. And, yeah. and like, it's funny because anytime that you have spare moments, like it, it it took deliberate effort to not just talk about the kids all the time, you know. Yeah. So. Well, I think I think it's kind of like they are the thing that becomes your priority as well. Like, yeah. So obviously you're going to be thinking about the kids, and that's you know each of your kids. So you're going to want to think about and talk about, and that's I don't know, like. Well, I mean, it's it's. I mean, it's this thing that you care about in a way that is difficult to explain to somebody who mm. d- doesn't also feel that, you know, it's a, yeah. I mean, <laughs> in my more cynical moments, you know, I feel like it's a, uh, it's biologically mediated, right? Like it's <laughs> just, you can't help it. You know, there's, <laughs> yeah. even if there's no reason for you to, to have this feeling, you have it anyway. You know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, but that's and that's okay, you know. If you want to, I kind of like that, you know. Like I like, mm. you know, thinking about them and talking about them and stuff like that. When it's, it, it's an important activity as well. Is that something else that's hard to come by in day to day life when, when everybody's running around and you're uh, um, telling one kid to stop sitting on his sister and you know just, you know, it's hard to have like those deeper conversations about normal family stuff even so yeah um yeah you got to take like intentional time to talk and think about stuff other than kids but that's it's okay to talk and think about the kids too you know 100 yeah, percent. yeah yeah um i guess the only other thing before we kind of look at wrapping up because it cut out hopefully we make that not actually noticeable um to those of you that are listening but um we are over an hour i think so um i just wondered if there was anything in particular, like there are probably one other aspect I just wanted to touch on, but feel free to kind of take it where you will as well. But have you found that you've kind of your coaching has improved since having kids in terms of understanding some of these other demands that people are working with and having a little bit more, I guess, empathy um, and understanding around how you might change up training or, you know, not be so rigid and, hey, it has to be this session and this long. Like, how has it kind of changed your perspective on that? I think I've done a pretty good job of of understanding people's priorities, like, you know, kind of all along, mm-hmm. uh, and that you know some people are not gonna you know have the same resources in terms of time demand and just energy even. Um, so that's that's good. I don't think that's necessarily changed too much, but mm. my ability to relate is probably better. And I think my perspective, hopefully my ability to provide guidance that's like real and meaningful uh, is better. You know, I mean, it's one thing when you're, you know, before we had kids, let's say uh, if, you know, somebody told me that, you know, there was some 
let's say that they were in a similar situation they were expecting you know i may have known like conceptually like okay this is going to be a time demand difference and so we're going to have to make some changes around this stuff but i wouldn't know i wouldn't know so much about the insecurities that they might have mm -hmm. you know i wouldn't know to maybe maybe it might be important to provide some reassurance that hey it's fine for you to make this other thing a priority for a while and mm -hmm. your training is probably going to be better for it in the long run and you know like i've had people say to me like well you know i'm i'm expect you know we're expecting and but uh you know, these are men by the way <laughs> a much different scenario with women but uh um you know like well i i'm thinking i'll probably take a week off and then you know after that i probably should be good to get back to normal and like well you could do that or we could do this other thing instead you know and yeah you know, just and also kind of impressing on them the same type of thing like look this is for a little while it's not forever and it's not for as long as you might think either yeah you know, it can feel like you know oh we've got an infant they're going to be an infant for a year yeah but there's a big range of what being an infant means you know? <laughs> like a one-month-old is way different than yeah. even a three-month-old. So, you know, and if you don't have experience already, like I didn't, then, you know, it would be hard to know that. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, definitely a big thing is having that understanding. And also you're able to look at that situation as, you know, as an observer almost because you've been there. So. Yeah prior you might have thought oh yeah sweet it might be you know you might be able to get back into it quicker or whatever but you're probably able to kind of think of it more i don't know if pragmatically is the right word but you know in that way that you're kind of looking at the situation and saying yep we can we can give that a nudge but actually a b c d you know and right. be flexible in these things and i remember one of the things um i think when i was getting some training from you at some stage or it might have even just been within that rts thing was the priority workout so like priority one yeah. priority two priority three mm -hmm. um and that was something I found really beneficial over those early few months with Harvey was kind of being like, okay, so what's the most, you know, important part of my training? And if I get day one and two done over the course of the week, all good. Yeah. Um, absolutely fine. And kind of you can take that as a win because I think that's the biggest thing is you can feel like you're losing. Um, yeah. But if you have ways that you can create those wins within that, within that training and that exercise regime, I think that's really important over that time just so you still feel successful, I guess, um, yeah. within that. Oh, totally agree. Totally agree. I think those are really good strategies to use as well. And, you know, finding ways to create those wins, finding something to view in a training session that you can be proud of. Mm. You know, that's that's important for your long term, you know, uh, motivation. And um, people talk about doing this for the mental health benefits, too. It's a big part yeah. of that, you know. Yeah, I'd say for regardless of what your exercise activity is and probably regardless of if you have children or not, um, yeah. making ways that you win the training day or the training session as well as the training week and the month, you know, like right kind on. of yeah. being being aware of where you are winning and what those are, even if they're little things. Um, you know, it's it's I think it's important for the process of staying engaged in what you're trying to do and staying motivated to do the activity. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Cool, Mike. So was there anything else you wanted to add before we jump into these final three? No, no, I don't think so. Cool. Okay, so let's let's get into it then. So the final three, I ask these ones to all guests. 
Um, and the first one is a parenting tip or word of advice for new dads. So I'm thinking, you know, very fresh um, to this process. Obviously, this is a little bit biased from me because I'm still call myself a new dad after two years. So I'm sure I'm going to pick up some tips um, from all of these different episodes. So, you know, selfishly, the final three, a new dad tip. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I think probably the thing that I would emphasize, the thing I wish that I understood more when I was, you know, in the in the new dad stage is just that the the stages go by quickly. They're not forever. And that can be a good thing and a bad thing. You know, yeah. that it can be you know, it's it's the the classic uh, time paradox that, you know, they're you know, when they're small they want you to tuck them in and, you know, give them a kiss goodnight and everything. And um that someday they'll ask for that for the last time and you probably won't know when that is and that's just that's just life you know that's just how it goes so there's there's that side of it but then there's also someday you'll change your last diaper that's good Mm. (laughs) (laughs) someday you'll get thrown up on for the last time that's you know uh someday you'll have more control of your time schedule again you'll um you know, so th- there's, you know, life changes, you know, there's good and bad that comes with those changes. And um, yeah, just to, just to remember that, that especially in those beginning stages, I found it hard. You know, yeah. I would say like in the new dad stage for me, I felt like it was hard. And yeah. it is when it's something new that you're not used to. Um, it gets easier. And mm-hmm. it gets easier probably faster than you might think. Yeah. yeah. Probably faster than it feels like at the time as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it feels like the months drag on, you know, but it's only it's only like that because you don't sleep at night anymore. <laughs> 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 but you look back on that and it, it's a blur because you're delirious. <laughs> it is a blur, but uh, yeah, it's uh, just how it goes. <laughs> cool. I think that's quite a good good piece of advice. Um, that second one is the most helpful new habit doesn't have to be limited to your parenting or training um, that you've implemented within the last year. Hmm. New habit. I guess it would have to be something around scheduling, you know, mm-hmm. although... I mean, I'm not necessarily new to scheduling things and, you know, time blocking and stuff like that, but um, just being more intentional about it. Uh, like I've kept to-do lists for work-related stuff forever. And usually it's because that's a sufficiently complicated project that, that I feel like that's what's required, you know. Mm-hmm. But implementing a lot of that same type of process around family activities has been has been helpful you know like i've got a a to-do list for uh family stuff as well and i try to you know include it in um my weekly rhythm to get that stuff scheduled so it doesn't just sit there idly forever what sort of things are those that you're scheduling family-wise maybe i need to call and make another dentist appointment or i've got to get the oil changed in my van (laughs) because yeah with four kids we're definitely van people now um (laughs) (laughs) but you know just the stuff like that um it's easy to not have time for it right now so just having a capture for it so it's not 
you know, it's not a memory thing. I don't have to yeah. remember it. Uh, I can capture it, get it out of my head, and then uh, have some sort of system for reviewing that so it, it also doesn't just sit on the list forever, you know? Yeah, so it actually gets done. <laughs> yeah. Cool. And then the last one we've got there is a book or podcast recommendation or both. Um, I'll be pretty specific with this one. Uh, there was a there was a podcast that I listened to. Um, it's an episode of uh, a Sam Harris podcast. Actually, it's um, it's called Time Management for Mortals. Yeah, and it's it's an it's like an audio essay. Uh, yeah, and it's part of a course. Uh, but so much of like time management stuff talks about like how do you cram more into the day? Basically, <laughs> you know, this. Yeah. Uh, I felt like took a pretty honest, pretty refreshing take on, you know, like, look, there's just not enough time to do everything that you want to do. That's just the reality of it. And that can be a sad thing, I guess, but it just is, you know, mm -hmm. and it's up to you to kind of figure out where to go from there. Like part of the, the stress that a lot of people feel in modern life is uh, a result of trying to cram too much into too little, yeah. you know, and, and just kind of not dealing seriously with this reality. Like hey, you have more things on your to-do list than you're going to have time for. You're never going to get it done. So why, sh why are we stressing about not having it done? Because it's, that's never going to happen. You know? yeah. So if we deal with that seriously, like adults, then um, that can lead to better decision-making hopefully. So it's a whole, yeah. it's a whole kind of lecture about that type of approach. Sounds sounds quite interesting. I might have to actually check that one out. <laughs> cool, Mike. And then I guess before you shoot off, was there anywhere that you'd send people to find more about you or about RTS? Um, probably uh, Instagram's the best way, best place to connect with us. And mine is at Mike Tushier and Reactive Training Systems is at Reactive Training Systems. And uh, yeah, should be easy enough to find from there. Cool. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time, Mike. I really appreciate you coming back on. And um, yeah. it's been really good to kind of dive into some of these different topics that aren't just training related. Um, Absolutely. I know you probably Absolutely. spend a lot of time, you know, when you come <laughs> on a podcast, yarning directly about training or concepts or philosophies. So, sure. uh, yeah, I've enjoyed the conversation. Absolutely. Good to talk with you, Aiden. Cheers. Catch you, Mike. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Stronger Dads Collective podcast. If you gained anything of value, please go ahead and share this episode with someone else that you think may benefit from its content. Also, feel free to follow me on Instagram at hjp underscore stronger dads. That's at hjp underscore stronger dads. We'll see you on the next one.